Did you hear that? That was an unmanned aerial vehicle or unmanned aircraft, more commonly known as a drone. You've probably seen them buzzing around parks and backyards, but the real action is in the rapidly expanding commercial, scientific, military, surveillance, and agricultural markets. Usage is growing, the market is expanding, and in terms of potential, the sky may truly be the limit. But along with widespread usage come regulatory concerns regarding safety, rules for operators, and personal privacy. Jones Day's Dean Griffith is here to talk about it. Hey, that was close. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks Government Regulation. Jones Day's Dean Griffith advises the firm's clients on aviation regulatory matters. He was previously with the Federal Aviation Administration for 10 years, where he worked as a regulatory lawyer in the administration's office of the chief counsel drafting safety regulations. You can find Dean's complete biography at jonesday.com. Dean, thanks for being here. Hey, Dave. I'm glad to be here. Hey, let's start at the very beginning. Define for us what exactly a drone is, both in the practical sense and in terms of how they're currently defined by the law. A drone really is a, is a name for any kind of vehicle that's operated remotely. And so that can be something that's a vessel operated on the water or under the water, a motor vehicle, and of course what we're talking about today, which is aircraft. The drone's kind of the shorthand term for unmanned aircraft system is another another term for it. And in 2012, Congress defined unmanned aircraft or drone as an aircraft that's operated without the possibility of direct human intervention from within or on the aircraft. And so that definition was included in the FAA bill, in the 2012 FAA bill. And because of that, the FAA logically construed the term to reference its definition of aircraft, which is very broad. It's any any contrivance invented, used, or designed to navigate or fly in the air. So um, really a, a drone, an unmanned aircraft, is really any kind of flying vehicle that's operated remotely. How did you become interested in this particular technology and in this area of the law? Well, I guess it, you could say a bit of the right place at the right time. I was working at the time in the FAA chief counsel's office, and we needed somebody to be the liaison with our unmanned aircraft systems integration office. And so really had no background in it before. And then over time, learned the industry, learned the FAA's role in it. We was able to participate in evaluating the agency's jurisdiction, able to work on some of the processes and approvals. From that, that really piqued my interest. And that was, you know, going on four or five years now. And, and that's, that's really how I got going with it. Fascinating area. And evidently, a lot of people are interested. Goldman Sachs, who usually has a pretty good handle on these things, they're saying this is a $100 billion market by 2020. Now, most of that is still military applications, but industrial or commercial and consumer applications or, or consumption will be somewhere combined in the $30, $40 billion range in just two years. Does that surprise you? No, no, it doesn't because, you know, as you mentioned, the military certainly has application for drones. They've been using drones for decades, frankly. But as the, as the technology in drones gets cheaper, it gets more accessible, people are figuring out ways to use them every day. There's, there's, a, there's no use. But really, where you're seeing a lot of that use is in everything from basic photography, from real estate photographers, you have home inspectors using drones to look at roofs, construction companies using drones to inspect their construction sites, and going all the way to linear inspection. So looking at things like rail lines, power lines, pipelines, to ensure that, that they're in good shape. What drones really do is they're, they're able to collect a lot of data 
They're able to access areas generally more quickly and cover larger amounts of area than a, a human could doing the same mm-hmm. thing. An example of the power company looking at their power lines in rural areas. Well, it's um, safer too, right? You don't have to put a human being up there and you've got better access and it's easier in and out. And there are all sorts of, I, I guess, reasons for using this technology for something like that, definitely. Well, definitely. Yeah, safer and also um, potentially less less expensive. Think of a, an oil platform in, in the Gulf, whereas before, uh, if they're going to inspect it by sending a person mm-hmm. up um, to, look, to look at the apparatus, they have to shut it down, let it cool, um, and then it takes you know a couple three days mm-hmm. for the whole process to be complete from start to finish. With a drone, they can do it do that in one day, and therefore get their operations back up and running more quickly. If you've got a machine flying through the air, there have got to be rules, regulations, approvals, permits. How and who were those originally administered? Who's in charge and tells me I can have a drone permit? We're really talking about the Federal Aviation Administration here. And the the first commercial operations were conducted in the Arctic to look at ice flows and mammals and the like. And those were back in 2013. Those were approved by the FAA in a very time and labor intensive process. The FAA worked with the oil companies that were conducting the operations very closely, Mm -hmm. uh, mapped out everything about the operation. And so obviously, that's something that worked for two or three operations back then, but isn't feasible for widespread views. So from there, then the FAA, they're at a point where they didn't have any any rules specifically for drones. They're trying to shoehorn the existing rules for manned aircraft that were written many years ago and apply them to drones. So they, they created a, an approval process, an exemption process under Section 333 of the FAA Modernization Reform Act of 2012. There are three pieces to allow any kind of airplane really to operate. One is that you have a pilot who's certificated by the FAA. Mm-hmm. The other is the aircraft is registered, and the aircraft is also certificated by the FAA. And really, that's that's the hard part because aircraft certification is time intensive and it's expensive. You, know, you think about five hundred dollar or thousand dollar quadcopter that you buy online or you buy at a store. That's not hasn't been and probably won't go through an FAA certification process allowing the broad range of of use that that would allow otherwise. So what 333 did was it said to the FAA, before you enact rules or while you're working on rules, see what kind of operations you can allow in the meantime. And a key component was you don't have to certify those aircraft. So the FAA went through this exemption process and in September 2014 issued the first exemptions to people who film motion pictures uh, using drones. Uh, Over the next few years, they issued 5,000 exemptions. Again, time and labor intensive, Mm -hmm. a little bit less so than with the Arctic, but not something that's sustainable for the broad use, for the demand we're seeing that you were talking about with the the kind of economic impact that drones are projected to have. The current structure that you're talking about, that's impeding, I would think, expansion and broader use. Yeah, and recognizing that, and the FAA eventually got to uh, the point where they issued a rule that's known as Part 107, it's operation and certification of small UAS that came out in August of 2016. That is what allows, finally, people to operate. They don't have to get specific approval from the FAA before going to fly their drones. They have to get a pilot license, and they're fairly restricted, though, in terms of uh, the kinds of flights that they can conduct. They have to stay below 400 feet. They can only fly during the day, not over people. Importantly, they have to stay within the line of sight of the person flying the drone which means that it has a pretty limited range, and, and also stay within uncontrolled airspace. And so what that means is you know, what the FAA was trying to do there was mitigate risk, potential risk of having an uncertified aircraft, as well as limiting the kinds of operations and putting up buffers around the, the operations, really. Well, well that's a tightrope 
for a regulatory agency, isn't it? On one hand, you don't want to suffocate what could be a wonderful new technology with lots of potential. But, you know, this isn't the Wild West either. you got to be careful and put safeguards in. So especially something like this, again, you have pieces of plastic and metal flying through the air. You know, they were in a difficult position, at least initially, right? Yes, and that's something the former administrator of the FAA recognized was that the technology community that is developing drones is moving at the speed of Silicon Valley, whereas FAA moves at a different speed and that there needs to be a meeting of the minds there. And I think it's happened. Both entities understand the pressures and the and the drivers of the other and are working together probably more than they were at the very beginning, at least. Let's talk about legislation. What's happening at the federal level? Has Congress taken an interest? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Congress has been a, a driver of FAA action in this area since 2012, really, and, and it continues to be. Both the House and the Senate are working on FAA reauthorization legislation now. The FAA authorization expires September 30th, and so that's, that's the deadline by which a new bill needs to be passed. Are you optimistic? Uh, I am optimistic, and both chambers are working on a long-term reauthorization, which is something that hasn't happened for a while. You know, they both cover several years. And the House has passed its bill. The Senate is expected to take up its bill after the July 4th recess at some point. And you know, there's, there's a couple of wild cards still at play that aren't specifically related to drones. Rather, they address some other issues pertaining to the FAA. But I think they're solvable, and, and I think people are optimistic about the bill's passing. What about the state and local levels? Anything interesting happening there? State and locals have been very active. NCSL, the National Conference of State Legislatures, reported that in 2017 there were 38 states that had considered drone legislation. And they're looking at everything from privacy, they're looking at limiting where people can fly, they're asking for registration. Some states say there's no, you cannot hunt with drones. Some states say you cannot harass hunters with drones, right? So it's, it's, really, it's really kind of broad. And, and I think what really drove that there was a perceived vacuum in regulation. So, you know, and, and this, this was started around 2013. The FAA asserted jurisdiction over this area, and, and Congress gave it the jurisdiction. But there was not a rule in place allowing broad-based or widespread use of drones. So states were concerned about being able to enforce their laws. They were concerned about people flying wherever they wanted to, essentially without recourse or, or unregulated. So that's that's really where you started to see a lot of concern really being driven, I think, from privacy and also from a public safety perspective. Anytime a new technology emerges, recently at least, there are always privacy and security concerns. I doubt that drone tech is an exception. Drones are unique or, or they're different than manned aircraft or traditional aircraft because although I could fly a small aircraft over a house at legal altitude and take a picture with a high-powered lens that's every bit as detailed as a picture someone could take with a drone, mm -hmm. the difference is I'm going to have to land at an airport, most likely. I have a big tail number that can be used to identify my airplane, yes. and I'm actually sitting in the plane. Whereas with a drone, they're generally flying at lower altitudes. They can take off from land anywhere. The pilot is not with the aircraft, they might be somewhere else. You may not know, they might be miles away in some circumstances. What that leads to is a perception of invasiveness. Yeah. And I really think that's what's driving a lot of these concerns. There's an open question really about what or who is the right entity to regulate privacy if anybody is. Some people have argued that the FAA is the right agency to do so and has been charged by Congress to do so. The FAA has been sued a handful of times by the 
Electronic Privacy Information Center basically asserting that argument. They haven't been successful to this point. Is the FAA equipped and staffed to police privacy matters? They say no. And, you know, another federal effort was in 2015, President Obama signed a memorandum that basically instructed federal government agencies who are flying drones to be transparent in certain ways Mm -hmm. about their operations by making making public kind of the purpose of them if they could, tell people when and where they're flying and the kinds of equipment. It also asked the National Telecommunications Information Administration to convene a multi-stakeholder process. which brought together industry stakeholders to develop best practices in this area. And so they looked at things like data collection, you know, how you collect the data, what you do with it, how long you keep it, kind of the same idea of, of informing people that your purpose is for flying, that you're, you're not there trying to spy on them, but instead right. you are inspecting the, the line along the right of way behind their property mm-hmm. and, um, and, and also complying with relevant laws. Sounds like progress is being made in that area. Talk about security concerns for a second. Sure. And I think the same concerns about invasiveness also apply to business and industry. They're concerned about security of of facilities. They're concerned about corporate espionage. Even information like crop yields can be valuable to people. There's also concern about criminal use. Criminals using drones as, as a lookout to see what the police reaction is to something that they're doing, or even for smuggling contraband into, into prisons. And so those are, those are some things that we've actually seen. Now, that sounds like a movie. People have used a drone to smuggle contraband inside prison walls somehow. It happens um, <laughs> quite a bit. It's, it's the same issue that the, the operator is not, doesn't have to stand right next to the, right. the aircraft. And the technology is inexpensive enough, relatively speaking, that if their mission is unsuccessful, they're out a few hundred dollars and they're scot-free. If Andy Dufresne had had a friend outside Shawshank with a drone, it would have saved him a lot of trouble. Interesting stuff. Hey, Dean, one more question. What do you see happening over the next year to 18 months in the drone sector? Are we looking at more investment, broader use, further regulation, all of the above? If you had your crystal ball and said, here's what to expect in the drone world, what's coming up? Well, I think there's two main areas. One, that the FAA is going to try to keep generating data that will help it in its rulemakings down the road. So something that they've been missing and that really manifested itself in the Part 107 rule where they drew those fairly tight parameters around operations is they didn't really have the data to say, here's where we think is a safe operation and where isn't. The more data they generate, the better they can do that. There's a currently a drone integration pilot program that was recently launched by the Department of Transportation, where they're partnering with state, local, and tribal governments, along with industry stakeholders, to develop innovative use of drones. They're looking at drone delivery. They're looking at inspection of aircraft uh-huh. and, and the like. They're also looking at studying the command and control technology, detect and avoid technology, as well as unmanned aircraft traffic management. So. That will all generate data for the for the FAA and the DOT that will help them in this area. So that's going to be a key. And, and really, if they can get out of the business of looking at waivers, so to Part 107, I, it is restrictive, but it allows for people to come and get waivers to allow them to fly beyond line of sight or at night at higher altitudes and the like. Mm-hmm. If the FAA can get out of that business of manually issuing waivers, that's really going to help them focus on other matters. So that's the one. The other is that they're going to start looking, you know, we, everything we've been talking about so far is really small UAS, fairly local, low altitude types of operations. The next step is going to be more complicated, higher altitude, integration with 
manned aircraft or in the airspace and in airports, traffic management, aircraft certification alike. So I think they're going to start taking steps to look at those more complex types of integration questions. It's an exciting area. Congratulations for being a front runner in this kind of thing. I think this is just going to be a fascinating, fascinating area to watch over the next couple of years. You can contact Dean Griffith at dgriffith at jonesday.com. For more information on Jones Day's government regulation practice and our airlines and aviation experience, visit jonesday.com and click through to the practice page. You can subscribe to Jones Day Talks on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. If you like us, please rate and review. I'm Dave Dalton. Thanks for listening to Jones Day Talks. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.